Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of FF+. Plus. I am here with my friend Patch. Hey, everyone. And we are excited to bring you a couple of reviews for films that are coming out in the near future, but not in theaters. Well, one is sort of coming out in a theater, Patrick, but it's a limited run in one single city, so it's let's, kind let's of just, yeah. Let's just call it that. what it is. It's not. It's not coming out in theaters. Its, it's primary release will be on video on demand. So um, these are two movies that we're going to talk about. Going to give you some spoiler-free thoughts on, and listeners, you'll be able to check these out within the next few days yourself. So that's pretty cool. We like being able to do that. It's a good time. And then we are going to have a little bit of a conversation about one of our favorite series, the Fast and the Furious series, the marathon that we most recently got to do together. And right on the tail end of that came this amazing new trailer for Hobbs and Shaw that we just have to uh, get into and talk some about too. So, man, are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, Patrick. Well, first, I would like to say congratulations, my friend, because we are about to talk about a Netflix film that is about to come out. And the cool news that we have to share, I think, with everybody is that we have gotten you your first ever kind of official press credential, if you will. Yeah, yeah, you can call it that, press credential. I've got my own official watermark on the screener. Yeah. And so I feel very official, like, hey, don't you ever give this to anybody else because your email address is going to be all over it. That's right. That makes me feel pretty special. So it should. Heck yeah. It absolutely should. Yeah. We were able to get Patrick Netflix access as well, which is really exciting for me because up until now, if I'm reviewing a Netflix film in advance, it's just me. Patrick doesn't get a chance to see it early. Not the case anymore. He'll be able to get to see those early as well. And we'll be able to kind of have a conversation, which is what we like to do. It's a lot more fun when it's, both of us talking about the movie. So we're going to do that now. The movie that's coming out this weekend, Patrick, it's called High Flying Bird. Steven Soderbergh is returning with his second film shot on an iPhone 7 in a row. This follows last year's thriller Unsane, which starred Claire Foy. High Flying Bird is written by the Moonlight screenwriter and playwright Terrell Alvin McCraney. Phenomenal writer. And it stars Andre Holland, who was also in Moonlight and Zazie Beetz of Deadpool 2 fame. The story follows a sports agent who is pitching a rookie basketball client on an intriguing and controversial business opportunity during an NBA lockout. Now, I'm a big fan of this dialogue-heavy, Aaron Sorkin-like scripting, feels-like-a-stage-play, and I'm also a really big fan of the NBA, so this hits a major sweet spot for me, Patrick, but I'm really curious what you thought about it, so I'd love for you to kick us off. Well, I will say this, that I'm one for two on that. I love, love, love the heavy dialogue. This is definitely reminiscent of Aaron Sorkin's just artistically rhythmic dialogue that we're used to to hearing from, from his movies. Not really a big fan of the NBA, but what I love about this is that 
it's one of those movies where you don't have to love the sport to love the movie. And there are movies like this where they center around a sport, but they don't necessarily ask you to know so much about it. And what I enjoyed about this, because I didn't really care about the NBA, this gave me insight into what was quoted as the game behind the game. And it starts out with this really great dialogue between the main character and his his client. And from there, it just spins into this really interesting adventure with the agent as our main character. And it was intriguing. I love that we're almost getting like a ballet of dialogue between him and these different individuals throughout leading up to what the the main plot of the movie is. And for me, I was surprised that it was not the main like, aha, this is what it is. Like it's billed this way, but it's not really what the point of the movie is. And by the time you get through with it, you kind of realize, oh, okay, I see what you were doing there. It's very, it's smartly written because it acts as entertainment, it acts as social commentary, it makes a play at NBA capitalism, and there's just a lot going on that you want to watch and then rewatch. And as a bonus, I love the fact that our main guy outside of the client is a rookie from LSU. So I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, I figured that part would go well for you. When I saw it, I was like, oh, man, of course. Couldn't be from Arkansas, could he? <laughs> uh, no, that's unrealistic. Um, <laughs> and being from LSU and a number one pick has happened a couple times before. So I guess you have that on us. Well, I was shocked because I thought when I read this synopsis about it being set during an NBA lockout, I should have thought I should have put more focus on the word lockout and less focus on the word NBA and realized, well, basketball's not happening during a lockout, because I thought that there was going to be a lot of basketball action. The iPhone 7 works really well for this, because it's confined. It's a, Like I told you, it's like a stage play, and there's not a lot of action going on. I really have noticed this as I've watched a ton of Netflix movies in the past month or so, and their low budgets show up over and over and over again. It becomes very obvious. They're not shooting with a bunch of effects and multiple takes and scenes that are set up with lots of extras. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And this was a this was interesting that you mentioned the iPhone 7. I actually found out about this after watching the movie because I was asking myself some questions about the camera work. And I was I was trying to understand what was it about this movie that was interesting and intriguing. And honestly, I don't think it was the the facet of the iPhone 7 aspect of it, while here's what I think happens. When you have an iPhone 7, you create limitations for yourself for those exact reasons that you mentioned. But what's interesting about Soderbergh is that we get some of the same types of shots set up that he has in like his Ocean's 11 and Ocean's 12 and 13. These long shots with no cuts, the awkward angles from like the top down or a weird angle. There's even, there's one shot where two of the characters are talking, but the entire conversation takes place pointing at a third character who is watching and reacting to these other two people's dialogue. And I don't think it's more about the iPhone seven aspect of it, but really more about Soderbergh's interesting way of shooting in order to convey an emotion or convey 
some kind of emotional statement here, like being confined. I love the fact that some of these feel like security shots, like from a security camera, like we're just kind of peeking into these conversations because that's what the movie really is being driven by is this artistic dialogue all throughout. And the fact that we're just staying on two characters the whole time and not going back and forth, back and forth to these two shots, it allows us to absorb the dialogue, kind of see what's happening in the background, but really focus on the characters instead of everything else that might be happening. Yeah, absolutely. And and the dialogue we keep mentioning, I mean, it is, it's probably the best script I've seen this year so far. I really, really loved it. It deals with a lot of fascinating topics. So, so first of all, the agent character played by Andre Holland, um, who I mentioned previously was in Moonlight. He played the character of Kevin, um, the best friend of, of Sharon. This, the best friend and love interest actually, uh, of Sharon. And this character, this agent, he, he has some Jerry Maguire qualities to him, but I think that would be selling him short because I actually find him a lot more confident than Jerry Maguire. I mean, this guy, oozes confidence. He never wavers. He is utterly certain that he will get the job done and he will get what he needs to get done, done for his clients. And he has the utmost belief in his abilities. And that shows throughout. And it, it takes us on this really cool journey watching him navigate this lockout, right? Because it's really from his POV that we're watching the majority of the film. We get to see these cuts uh, documentary style of real life NBA players, most of which are relatively new in the NBA, I'd say within the last two or three years. And they've got these little interview segments with them where they're discussing things about the NBA and about coming into the league and about what life is like and how it has changed for them. And so we get to kind of explore a lot of these different concepts, things like how the media and social media can impact the lives and the careers of professional athletes. That's a commentary that is hit on pretty strongly. And it's something that fans will know is happening right now in the league. I mean, we've just watched this go down with the Lakers and the New Orleans Pelicans surrounding a potential trade for a major star player in the last week and a half and how these leaks of trade information and social media jabs and things can kind of escalate. And it's, it's a whole different culture. And it's, it's really intriguing to kind of get some of that behind the scenes perspective on it. And then there's also a really strong commentary here on slavery, essentially. And I don't want to spoil it by getting too deep into that. There's some parallels drawn uh, and some understanding that is brought to the table, for me especially, I think, of you know how the African-American community, who is the largest part of the player base, what their level of control is within the game itself at this point, um, and, and who has the real power in this sport and why and what, what can be done about that. And so the film deals with like all kinds of like really heavier topics than I expected it to. I thought we would get basketball, Patrick, and all we got is like some almost basketball. We got like one scene of almost, I was so jealous. I was like, give me that. Give me more basketball. I just was a little bit sad. Well, praise God and all of his black people. I mean, uh, this is, uh, this is a, this is a movie that really, uh, pleasantly surprised me in terms of that opposite reaction. I, I wasn't going to be disappointed if there was basketball, but in all honesty, Aaron, because I didn't know much about this going in, 
when I got the first scene, which was the interview with one of the actual NBA players, I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is going to be a documentary. Interesting. And then it cuts to the opening scene from the actual film. And I, I started thinking, okay, what is this going to be? And then I started thinking, okay, so this is really going to be a blend, like a, like a biopic, like a, but not a biopic about an individual person, but really about the league and about the culture. And I, I really enjoyed those interviews because I felt like they helped set up those different sections of the movie. I mean, obviously that was the intent, but they created really nice visual bookmarks for what we were about to experience. And I felt like even though the narrative was one cohesive story, those pockets gave us a little bit of a break to say, okay, cool, we're going to focus on that based on this little interview that we got from this person or that interview that we got from that other person. And as a side note, it really kind of made me want to follow these individual players. Like I want to, I want to check out who they play for and maybe start following them here and there. I probably won't, but in any case, it, it's fun to get a peek into the game behind the game and, and to see where reality meets film in this regard and, and how that can be a nice blend. Yeah, totally, man. I, I completely agree. And I think that this is a movie that is going to probably gain a lot of traction. I think it's going to get a lot of views. I think people are going to be talking about it because of the number of sports fans that are out there. We're right in the midst of the NBA season. This is coming out at a hot time. We just went through a crazy trade deadline. Probably the most competitive the league has been in a decade right now. So fandom is high and interest is high and cultural climate is is pretty fired up right now, too. And so this really, I think, has the potential to catch fire in a lot of uh, a lot of circles. So I'm excited for that. I, I actually can't wait to watch it again. I, this is one of the few films that I'm going to watch again. And I think that movies like this, you and I both have mentioned Aaron Sorkin, that dialogue can bring you back, man. You just you want to you want to watch it performed. Yeah. And, and let me just say this. I actually went back and watched pieces of it because you have got to pay attention to everything in this. Like it's a detective story in some regards, because a conversation that happens in one part of the story has a deep effect on another conversation later on. And I think that's incredibly smart writing to be able to subtly create these interconnected pieces in a line or two of dialogue from one conversation to the next, because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I didn't quite catch the, it wasn't a twist, but I didn't quite catch the aha moment until going back and revisiting certain topics or certain conversations. So when you see this, when it comes out eventually, which is a couple of days, then I advise you, Enjoy it the first time, but then go back and watch it again to really absorb everything that's that's taking place and being said. I would concur with that, and you can check this out very soon. It will be available on Netflix February 8th. If you do watch it, hit us up on social media and let us know what you thought about it. Come find us in our Feelin' Film Facebook group. Join that and tell us, or find us on Twitter or somewhere, and let us know what you thought about High Flying Bird, Steven Soderbergh's newest film. All right, the second movie we're going to discuss real quick is called Among Wolves, and this is a documentary that follows an uncommon motorcycle club, which is led by Bosnian war veterans who are seeking to find redemption in the helping of 
these small town folks, uh, helping them heal by defending a threatened herd of wild horses that they first met while actually serving in the military during the war. Fascinating concept. Did not know how this was going to play out, Patrick. Um, That's a lot of documentary subject matter right there. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's obscure. It is very specific and not something you would never normally see a lot of. You know, you, you see a lot of different documentaries where the topics are similar to each other. Maybe the location has changed or, you know, the race or sex of a person has changed, but this is very, very unique. Um, so actually this film I found out was kickstarted originally well it it was a shot but then they had to do a kickstarter to cover the final editing and post-production costs it barely made its goal but it got done this was back in 2015 film initially started playing some film festivals in 2016 and here it is now 2019 and it's actually gonna get released it's kind of like the movie we talked about back in early January, Untouchable, where it had done a film festival run a couple years ago and just now is finally seeing the light of day on video on demand where people can get a chance to see it. It's unfortunate, but it, it speaks to just how hard it is to really get a film made. A lot of times when we watch all these movies, we don't think about that. All the ones that didn't actually get made, you know, because there's hundreds upon hundreds that do, but there's probably thousands that don't. Yeah, and with the advent of like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, all these these services that have their own original content, it either creates more or even less opportunity for you to get your film recognized because there's either a lot of avenues or too many avenues, right? Yeah, it can be a roadblock. Absolutely, it can be there can be too much to figure out. You can get overwhelmed and not have a clear direction to go in. Well, a little bit about this film. Um, this is directed by a man named Sean Convey, and the cinematographer's name is Martin Langner. And it, I was really impressed with the filmmaking aspect of this picture and the desire of their hearts. You could really feel what they were going for here. This, this is a documentary that is shot with minimal dialogue and narration. Um, it's almost entirely observational. There's a little bit of voiceover, but it's all interviews of the people that you see on screen. But most of it is just sitting back and filming these men in their own environment. And I love that. It just it shows us pictures and it's okay to linger on them and the images um, of both the motorcycle club members and also this herd of wild horses that is integral to their process of healing and what they are trying to do. What this boils down to is this motorcycle club is living in this small town. Um, this is a Croatian language film, by the way. And there are issues. Uh, the film the, tells us the police don't necessarily love these guys. They view them as troublemakers, even though they really haven't ever done anything super wrong, you know, other than maybe show off by driving around doing wheelies and things like that. The motorcycle club is actually made up of all kinds of different vehicles. I thought that was pretty fun. We get to see these big road hogs, but we also got to see cross rockets and mopeds and four wheelers driving around with them. And what it has become is this symbol. Uh, they call themselves Moto Club Vokavi, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that in Croatian correctly, but that's how it's spelled. And uh, it is the wolves. That's what they go by. And so they're led by this man who just has a passion for bringing people together and really 
seems like he wants to help the community. Uh, at one point he says, what else should we be doing if not charity work and helping others? I just thought that was amazing. These guys, Patrick, throughout this film, they show the heart of a group of brothers who truly live out the love thy neighbor concept in the Bible. Um, they're not the stereotypical biker gang. They look like them, but that's not anything like what you would see in a movie, right? Or in what's that show, that that TV show? I can't think of it. Not Breaking Bad. It's the, the other one that everybody used to love. Oh, I'm going blank. Somebody's going to kill me. Mad Men? No. <laughs> I can't think of it because I didn't watch it. But um, anyway, there was a, a famous TV show that kind of centered around a biker gang recently. And, it, it, you know, these guys are very special. And what they're doing is they're trying to save these horses that the population's dwindling. It shows us that after the war, things didn't just get better. Uh, for their little community, this small town, they don't have factories, so there's very few jobs. They have to rely on aid that comes in, and uh, you know the, the horses have been killed, they've been eaten, they've you know accidentally fallen to their death, and they've just taken this great interest in taking care of them. And it's a form of stress relief and healing and relaxation for these men. And really, what we see is a, a community. These guys are a community. They're bonded together. They show that you, you really have to have that in life with someone. And it's, it's a true brotherhood. It makes them feel safe. It makes them feel stronger. They have similar experiences. We don't sit down ever in this film and just tell stories about the past. It comes upon it naturally. There's a great scene in the movie where they go to visit this old, I don't know if it's like a museum, but it's, um, it's almost like a, an old, um, salvage yard or something with all this old military equipment. You've got tanks and you've got fighter jets and all these things that are out of commission. And they're just walking around and they're talking to each other, telling stories. You know, one guy's like, ah, oh, this is the kind of tank I drew, drove back in the war. And here's what I did here. And, and here's where this goes. And then the next guy will tell somebody else about, you know, this jet that he flew or this other piece of equipment that he used. And they're getting to know each other and reminiscing. And it's just, it's really sweet. Um, it's beautiful shot. The landscape in Bosnia and, and Herzegovina here, it's got gorgeous natural landscapes. It's a lot of countryside, a lot of mountains, a lot of really, really beautiful sky because it's not messed up by pollution and big buildings and things like that. And I was, was really impressed. I mean, it, it's a, it's a film that evokes empathy, um, generates that, and I think we can always use more films like that. It is a bit slow. If I have anything, not negative, but, you know, contrary to the, it's not the best documentary I've ever seen. The pacing's, uh, you know, a little bit slow. Nothing really happens in this documentary. We're not really following a plot. You know, it's not like we're starting with horses that have a specific problem and the problem is solved at the end of the film that's not the point of this this is about observing people in their element and learning about why they are so dedicated to service so and quite what it does for you so it is about being among wolves for about an hour and a half it seems like it really really is and i recommend it um i think it's very good and like i said i think that the director sean convey i think the cinematographer, I think they have really great potential. 
Um, I love that they are telling this story and bringing it out. I'm glad this movie is going to be available for people to check out because it's unique and unique documentaries are something that you and I both really enjoy seeing these slice of life pieces from around the globe that we otherwise would never know anything about. Um, but yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, did you get to watch any of it? I know you were going to try to. I got through about a third of it and had to turn it off. Um, but I want to finish it. And I noticed some of those same things that, that you pulled out. The vibrancy of the cinematography. It's just beautiful to look at, at the very least. And it creates this sense of slice of life. You're in the moment with these, with these guys. I like the unassuming nature of it. So the thing I like about documentaries is also the thing that I don't like about a lot of documentaries is the, and I say this in the most positive way, the manipulative nature that they have because documentaries inform us, but they also persuade us. And I think this is one of those few docs that really is meant to be observation only and to glean your own kind of reaction to it. That sense of altruism, that love your neighbor as yourself is clear from the very beginning. And I think for these guys who live there and who have this mission, I think that mission gives them purpose because a lot of them are dealing with PTSD. A lot of them are dealing with the fact that you have um, these, these, these mental illnesses and they're helping each other and they're reminding one another that they are important and the horses become the caveat to that importance. I don't think that they would be less significant if they didn't have that, but I think it reinforces their value because of the, because of the protection and the way in which they, they handle taking care of, of these animals. Yep. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I pulled out of it. So you got the gist in the 30 minutes or so that you saw, but you should definitely watch the rest of it because yeah, I'm going to finish it. Um, there are some great relationships that we get to observe, uh, between the men, um, some great moments to see them in action and see some of the details of what they do for that community and why they're important and how important they are or, or how much they are beloved by the people in that town. So I would recommend it. This one is going to be getting a limited theatrical run beginning February the 8th at Chicago's iconic Music Box Theater. And it will be there for about a week. And then the film will hit video on demand and DVD nationwide on February the 12th. Okay, well, let's wrap things up here with a little bit of... Trailer Talk. Hobbs and Shaw, Patrick. Or... Should I say, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw? You should say that. Or Fast and the Furious 8.5. Or 8. whatever we got. It can't be 8.5 because there's three of these plans. So oh, that's true. 8.33? Sure, why not? 8.1. Anyway. 8.1. We'll call the, it 8.1. The point is, this is the first spinoff in the Fast and Furious universe. And before we talk about this trailer... You were recently up here to visit, and we had a great time. And one of the things that we wanted to do was watch through a movie series or something that we love. We wanted to find some movies to check out together because we don't get to do that. And so we said, we love the Fast and Furious series. It's very special to us both. Let's go through the whole thing. So we initially set off to do this minus films two and three for time purposes primarily. Got to the point where we realized we could actually squeeze Tokyo Drift into the rotation and did that. So we went through all, we went through seven films, not counting two. We, we skipped two because two is actually bad. And the rest 
are fantastic, and you really don't need two. Like, you can watch through them in order, and it doesn't really make a difference if two isn't there. So, it was awesome. I'll, I'll just say right up front, we both had a blast. Um, what were the highlights for you? Like, what? Give me a couple things that stuck out to you about our marathon. Well, the the first thing that stood out to me was the way in which we watched them. So, the intent to skip two and three for time constraints really actually benefited us. Because I'd never watched one and then four back to back. And what I found was that there is a really great seamless transition between one and four. Like that could, it was a sequel because the events pick up five years after one and the things that were talked about in one have kind of come to fruition. Brian is now an FBI agent. Dom's on the run. And the only thing that we have different is that Dom's got some new people in his gang. But that makes sense, too, because everybody but Letty and pretty much he gets a whole new gang. We're introduced to those guys in number four. So being able to watch one and then four and then go on to five, six, six, three, seven and eight was kind of like a breath of fresh air because it made the series make sense. And being able to see these things done in chronological order, with the exception of maybe a few things that three was bringing up that really didn't make a lot of sense. It created a narrative that to me is just justifying a spinoff when we're talking about a spinoff to a fast and the furious franchise that seems kind of absurd to a lot of people because we're like what are you doing it's fast and the furious how could you have a spinoff of a series like this but that's how big it's gotten so getting a chance to watch these in the order that we did gave me a better appreciation for the overall narrative and particularly justin lynn and what he did with the movies that he was directing, how it centered around family and racing and a little bit of over-the-topness, but not too crazy over-the-top like we were getting with some of the later movies with James Wan. And so I, I got to have a better appreciation of his directorial style, and I'm really, really excited about seeing what he's going to do with 9 and 10. Yeah, I'm also very excited for him to come back to the series. And one of the things that stuck out to me was four. Uh, and how much I loved it. Now, it's a movie that I kind of just had thrown away as far as memory goes. I don't really think about it much. It's the one where, I don't care about spoilers at this point, it's the one where Letty dies. And it's a very intriguing, like you said, I think it was elevated by going straight to it from one to four. Right. Never having watched them back to back. And so we watched these, you know, two in a night at times or two in a day over the course of this. And it was really cool to see it strung together so so well and so thoroughly and what we did is we picked up on tons of little specific details that had been brought forward in the series that we didn't notice before or didn't realize that hey that thing that just got said in seven that little throwaway line is referring back to something that happened in four or to a piece of dialogue that happened in you know tokyo drift or something like that and that was really really pleasant for me but but four stood out for me as one of the three best in the series, just I loved the idea of Braga and this kind of mask that he was wearing, essentially, in plain sight, kind of hiding the villain, us like being misdirected and the whole point of the story with, you know, Dom trying to f re get revenge on the killer of his loved one. And also channeling his inner CSI. I mean, and yes, not and as I think, about that. it turns into like a detective story at times. Like it's, it was really great for me. Uh, the other things that I noticed is just how 
quickly the action ramps up once we hit five and how it escalates from there. And it just, you know, we always think about the biggest stunts. You know, five's got the safe heist. Six has the plane at the end. Seven has the cars coming out of the plane. You know, eight has the cars coming out of the garage. Things from the submarine, things from the trailers. But what you realize is how many slowdown moments are lacking as we get further and further along in the series. And while we both enjoyed that quite a bit still, we, we enjoy the action. We love the focus on family and there is enough of that that is what makes this series unique because even when there's so much action, it always takes time to slow down for a second and give us a brief scene or two of connective moments with dialogue and with uh, memories of, of characters talking to each other or, you know, giving each other motivation. So that it never, so that when the action is there, we will always care about the characters that are in the action. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes it special. Uh, we both really thought it was like kind of mission impossible level at this point. Like that's where we're going. Uh, we would love to see a crossover. I'm telling you, I, I, I would support that completely if the tone were like eight. I don't know that I could see a Mission Impossible mixing in with like four through seven. But and I I think this is where my biggest challenge comes in is because I'm going to always love the franchise. But watching the latest one this time around, it really felt more Mission Impossible than Fast and the Furious because of those the lack of those family moments. It felt more like a heist, like an adventure with little pockets of family and there were times when those family moments felt more forced than anything else. And in particularly the, the idea around Shaw and how a clearly sets up his motivation to get back at, at these guys, but yet, you know, he's going to have to work with them and things like that. And so we get kind of a mismatch of what, who Shaw is like, he goes from being like, I'm going to, I've got my revenge set out for these guys to by the end of eight, he's like shaking hands with Dom. And that doesn't quite sit well with me. I, I don't feel like, I felt like his motive and everything about his arc was a little bit cheapened for the sake of the big action of eight and whatnot. It, it, it was the, one of the big kind of eh moments for me, for him. Yeah. I, I, you know, you're not alone. That's for sure. Many people have that same feeling. I don't, I think it's, great and i think it's good enough and that that's all i need from an action movie like if this was a straight drama i would want more character development i would want to be sold on that more but i believe it because of his mom i believe it because his brother's involved i believe it i believe it because there's a few very and and this is the thing we noticed or at least i noticed this time around was it's the details man it's that moment in the hangar where he's talking to um hobbs and Hobbs is telling us, hey, I realize you're a war veteran. Like, holy cow. Now, yes, there's some suspension of disbelief that you have to understand. Like, yes, this guy has a cool past where he was a hero. But yeah, he also became a murdering, like, assassin across the world for years and years and years. So we can't just pretend it didn't happen. But, you know, you look at the group that he's with, they're not all angels either. You know, they live by their own code and they've done some stuff as well. It could be argued that they've never killed or murdered out of revenge or anger or anything like that, like Shaw has, and that he doesn't fit. But it works for me because it's fun. 
I, I agree with that. And it's consistent how your enemy becomes your friend it, <laughs> by the next it, movie. Exactly. You're right. That is that is a very much consistent theme that we noticed throughout like almost every single film. It just yeah, as soon as whoever your bad guy is, the next movie, you're going to be best buddies. Um so that brings us to Hobbs and Shaw though. We take these characters from a this is a like straight natural progression. We're getting these guys working together. They didn't actually have to work together in 8. You know, he worked with Dom via satellite's phone to save the baby, but he never actually had to work with Hobbs directly, not closely. And so we're going to get to see that here. I I hope, Patrick, that with Justin Lin coming back to the FNF series for the two more that are announced, I hope that it's going to compare to what I expect the Mission Impossible final two movies are going to be like. And then we're going to get this kind of two-part wrapping the series up experience. That's really what my my heart wants, where I think Justin Lin can bring it back home a little bit, kind of ratchet that action down a little bit and bring it back to its roots. And then we can allow this spinoff set of movies to take the place of that hardcore action without worrying about too much of the family stuff, because that is what Hobbs and Shaw look like to me. We have the, 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 they just don't give a crap anymore. Patrick, they, they straight they're like, oh, hey, he's bulletproof now. Just deal with it. Like, we're not going to explain it to you. We don't care. Eat yourself a superhuman. Ha <laughs> You know, it's it's phenomenal. Like, And if we're going to have a superhuman bad guy, it's great. There is a line in this trailer where they ask him, they meet Idris Elba, and somebody says, who the hell are you? And he just goes, bad guy. <laughs> like, that's the level of self-aware we have reached, and I am totally here for it. I am too. And everything that you said, I made notes on those exact same things. When you have Idris Elba as a super-powered villain, take my money. because. That's what I need. I mean, if we can't have him as the next James Bond, why not make him a superhuman villain? And the movie itself, like you mentioned, makes total sense when you take the family aspect of it out. Because we get two characters who, while they do articulate a little bit of that family stuff, I mean, Hobbes has his daughter and Shaw has his brother, we cheer for the core family. We cheer for... Dom and Brian and Mia and Letty and, and, and those guys and Han, we cheer for those because that's the family. I mean, those guys are there and these are tertiary characters that come in and pack that humorous punch. They pack that, that, that extra bit of, of action. Hobbs and Shaw represent the high concept avenue that the Fast and Furious series has taken. If you take those two characters out, you have the ability to, to ratchet it back because now you've grounded this core set of family to something else, in this case, racing. But what I love about Hobbs and Shaw is that we want both, right? We want, we want Hobbs in the movie, we want Shaw in the movie, but now we have a place for them to live. We have this like action playground full of, go ahead and not only suspend your disbelief, but just completely throw it out the window. This is where an action movie in space should take place. Like, I don't want Fast and the Furious 9 to take place in space. I want it to come back down. Let your spinoffs take place in space. Give me my cake and eat it. Let me have my cake and eat it, too, because this is what happens. Yeah. And you have two hot-headed people that have to work together. It makes perfect sense. It's like it, it's like the odd couple on steroids, man, and I'm ready for that. I'm ready to see that on screen. This is my fourth time saving the world because <laughs> I'm good at it. 
I mean, it, it's, it's not, it's nonsense. It is so nonsense. And I, and I love it. I mean, their chemistry is off the charts and I have no doubt that adding Idris Elba into that chemistry is going to be a great addition. My hope is that we do get to continue that theme that we discovered and that this bad guy becomes a good guy in the end and he gets to interact with them later on in a different kind of capacity, maybe, or, you know, shows up in FF10 and it's just this complete mixing of everything together or something. I don't know what I want. I don't, I, I, I trust it though, because I've enjoyed all of the films. And so I have no doubt that I'm going to enjoy this one. And I, and I think that the trailer, what, what it did best for me is it set my expectation. I, I kind of had this expectation already, but it confirmed it. Now I get to go into it kind of woo-sawing and letting go of any desire and need to experience a similar family style Fast and Furious movie and just go for the popcorn, man. You know, splurge a little bit, take myself off keto for a night and just suck down that nice, buttery, salty, calorie rich action goodness. Yeah, I think movies like this remind us of why we go. We go to be entertained. And that entertainment can be valuable equally as much as a message in a in a movie. What's going to be interesting, Aaron, is our connecting points, what we're going to find from from covering this, because that that's what I always find interesting when we cover a comedy or when we cover something that obviously isn't hitting on a deep emotional level. What are we going to find from this? And that's going to be the fun for me is not only enjoying the movie, but finding the point of the of the film where I'm like, where am I going to emotionally resonate with? It may be a big action sequence like. When, I, when we were covering the Turtles movies, like it was two big action sequences that yeah. really connected me with them. And I'm pretty sure it's going to happen with this one. Mine's that scene in the trailer where the rock comes flying across the building and slams into the glass elevator and just says, F you. Mouths the worst to, to J- Jason Statham. That's, that's my connecting point. No, for real. I'm also actually there. Vanessa Kirby is in this film as well. Um, and she played. I think, I don't remember what she was called, the White Widow or something, White something, I believe, in the Mission Impossible Fallout film. And I liked her quite a bit as an actress. And so she is our link to the Mission Impossible franchise. She's crossing this thing over for us. And she's probably not the same character, but that'd be fun. Maybe she she was, you know, same she'll universes, different. She'll, she'll pull off the mask, but it'll ah, be the same. And it'll be Tom Cruise. No, it won't be. It'll be, oh, her, it'll be her again <laughs> as as her character from Mission Impossible. Like, it'll just be the same face. Well, I'm excited that she's in this, because I like her. And I, I'm going to want to see more of her. I think she can do action very well. We saw a great action fight scene of her in a club in Mission Impossible Fallout. So we'll get some more. If we do ever get that crossover, by the way, I think you brought this up during our marathon. I just want to plug it again. So just in case Christopher McQuarrie or Justin Lin or Vin Diesel are listening to this podcast, if you guys get together, you have to have a scene. You have to, you have, to have a scene. Like, it is required where tom cruise is racing vin diesel in his charger and it's vin diesel in his charger and tom cruise running yeah we absolutely have to see those two side by side don't put it in a trailer please don't ruin it please don't spoil it don't tell me it's coming just put it in your crossover movie that you're gonna make for me because patrick and i want it so you're gonna make us feel and film fast and furious and mission impossible presents for feel and film whatever you want to call it, but put in that this scene so that I can screen cap it and make it my desktop wallpaper for all time. Just a shot of Tom Cruise running next to Vin Diesel with his charger up in the air 
of course, because that's the iconic way it's got to be. And I, and I will just screenshot it and I will keep it there forever. Make that too. Well, that about wraps it up for us on this edition of FF Plus. We hope you guys have enjoyed listening equally as much as we've actually enjoyed, well, talking. Uh, coming up in the next few days, keep an eye out for our next full episode discussing the Lego Movie 2 colon the second part. I know, Aaron, you love, love the colons. So uh, don't love the colons. <laughs> followed up by a new FF Plus. Uh, there's still also time to get your votes in for our February donor pick chosen by our patrons. And to become a patron, if you're so inclined and want to be a part of that voting process, to do that, just go to patreon.com slash film to find out more. That's all from us. We'll talk to you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.